0: Tonight, we're going to come back to the Psalter, and we're going to take a look at uh, some of the dynamics of the Psalter by looking at the different types of Psalms. And so we're going to begin tonight just uh, kind of looking at how this developed a little bit. So some of the things that we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks is that the Psalms are diverse, they are editorially shaped. They're very old. Uh, Most of them are anonymous. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about the ambiguity that you find in the Psalms. When you open the Psalms, uh, they're a bit ambiguous as to the specific situation and circumstances that prompted the Psalm in the first place. So here's how we're going to go about it. Um, As we look at the background of the Psalms and the composition of them, the specifics of what prompts the author, the initial author of the Psalms uh, is very fuzzy. Uh, We don't have much information about the authorship of most of them. Uh, We don't have a lot of information about the setting or even the intended use of what the author wanted this Psalm to be used for. What we do know is by looking at these Psalms, there are some that you can anticipate um, where they are going, like Psalm 137. Psalm 137 is that Psalm that we mentioned last week, where they are sitting by the rivers of Babylon, and they are weeping, basically, because of the exile. And the Babylonians taunt them with this idea of sing to us some of the songs of your homeland, uh, the psalms that you sang. So that gives to us one little historical insight, and that is some of the psalms are pre-exilic. They were written before the exile. And then some of them, like Psalm 137, uh, they're talking about the exile in a current uh, dynamic. So Um, Some of the psalms are exilic, and many of them have been uh, editorialized in a post-exilic setting. And I'm going to show you possibly a couple of those tonight that might have been formed for the celebration of specific uh, festivals. Um, And some even included all the way to uh, Hanukkah itself. The information we have is helpful to what we have, but it is very rare. And that frustrates me a little bit. I would love to know some of the background of these, but it might be an advantage that we don't know the specifics behind the Psalms because the specifics might cause us to be Uh, dismissive of the Psalms in terms of application to our own current circumstances. So if the Psalms and the prayers that are in them are too specific, would they become too occlusive for continued use? Because ultimately, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, this is the liturgy of much of what is happening in Israelite worship. So having said that, let me give to you a couple of examples that might help uh, us to be okay with the fact that these uh, Psalms are mostly ambiguous and, um, and we don't know a lot about them. So tonight, I want you to turn to Psalm 32 to get started. In fact, if you want to keep the ribbon in your Bible near Psalm uh, 32. We'll look at a couple of other ones that are in, in close proximity of that. Now, Psalm 32 is one that has been attributed to David. You'll see it says at the heading there, uh, Psalm 32 of David, a maskil. kill. And if you have a study Bible, you'll see the footnote that that's a musical term or a literary term of some sort, but even the translators don't know what it means. So it could be something that pertains to a type of music or a type of poetry. But as you read this, what's interesting about it is even though it's attributed to David, there's a lot of generality that is in Psalm 32. Now we've been kind of conditioned uh, in church to think that Psalm 32 was written because David was repenting from his sin with Bathsheba. Um, But it never specifically mentions that here. Notice the generality. Verse one, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, these two verses go back to the beginning of the Psalter, Uh, Actually, verse 1 is close to Psalm 1, verse 1, and verse 2 is close to Psalm 2, verse 12. But what you'll find then is the dynamics of confession, basically. Notice verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. And then another musical term there, Selah, which they think is sort of like a rest in the musical score. Stop for a moment. Let this resonate um, or think about it might be another way of saying it. But when you look at this here, it's asking God for forgiveness, but it doesn't specify what the sin is. And based on the text alone, it's almost impossible to reconstruct that this is an actual confession of David himself. As I mentioned last week, one of the things that could be uh, going on is um, the life of David could resonate with some of the things that are in specific Psalms. And so The psalm could be not only by David as in authorship, but about David or for David, um, uh, considering David, a lot of different templates could be used. But you'll notice here, if this became a psalm of communal confession, let's take uh, Yom Kippur. As a, as an example, when Yom Kippur comes around, if this is one of the Psalms that might be used for confession, too much specificity might get in the way of that. So notice it says here, my body wasted away in verse three. Well, what does that even mean? What is the, uh, the Psalmist talking about here? Is this shame? Is this guilt? Or is this some type of physical... Uh, dilemma that uh, the psalmist is going through. Um, It it says here as well, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Um, What is that? Um, What does he mean by that, that your hand was heavy upon him? So maybe the generalities that are here is intentional in the sense that this can be used not just for one individual, that can be used in a communal setting as well. Notice verse five, you finally come to the confession. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then it's inclusive. Notice it's not just individual. Therefore, verse six, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, They will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Now he seems to be going in a different direction here in verse six, it becomes communal uh, rather than individual. And then the protection element seems to be something about a danger from uh, enemies. Uh, You're my hiding place. You're gonna protect me. You're gonna deliver me. And then it turns to instruction. I'm going to teach people your way uh, and so forth. And even there, there is uh, uh, the idea of of watching over you in verse 8. And then it talks a little bit about our stubbornness using an analogy with a horse or mule uh, that has no understanding but is controlled by bit and bridle. Um, And the analogy probably is we're kind of controlled by some of these impulses that we have. And many times we're like the horse or mule that just follows whichever way it is pulling us. So here's my point. The words of a psalm like this can become my own when I think of the specifics of my own life or maybe us in terms of a community And maybe that's how this psalm was to function. Maybe it's about David. Can't rule that out. Maybe it's not about David, but the name of David is used because of his prominence, but it's communal in nature. It moves from individual to communal as well. So maybe, just maybe, if I had too much information, it might cloud my um, attempted use of the psalm. And and maybe that's part of why the Psalms are so ambiguous at times. Does that make sense a little bit? Okay, I'm gonna give you a contemporary example, okay? So this might help us to see the, the dynamic of this. So let's say we're gonna have a prayer for healing. And I want you to imagine a worship leader that begins a communal prayer like this, quote, Lord, you are the healer. We pray for those who are sick in our community, and especially for those who have suffered compound fractures, breaking both the tibia and fibula in their right leg, and who, as a result of post-surgical complications, have incurred an infection of flesh-eating bacteria that will not only prohibit their potential return to the NFL, but may also result in the loss of a limb or potentially their life. Now, what what would you think about uh, a worship leader praying a song like that, um, a a prayer like that? You might go, well, that doesn't relate to me. I mean, I don't play in the NFL. I didn't break my leg. I didn't have bacteria uh, infection. But that did actually happen uh, to Alex Smith, who was the quarterback of the Washington Commanders back in 2018. But too much specificity there kind of gets in the way. You see what I'm saying? It, it, it's such that we tune out. So maybe the Psalms and the nuance of the Psalms does not get as specific as we might want them to get because it's used for a bigger purpose in the community. Does that example help at all? Okay, so any thoughts, any questions? Okay, so maybe the takeaway of this is maybe, fortunately, the Psalms are ambiguous enough that they can be applied to my own life and my situation and my uh, struggles, and uh, maybe that's why the Psalms are so popular. Uh, it, a lot of people love the Psalms, love the imagery of the Psalms, and so forth. So, um, any any questions? Any thoughts on that? I think that God still speaks, and this is how He speaks through the the Psalms to us. Mm-hmm. Where That's why they're not so specific, but it applies through his spirit. He speaks to us in our own circumstances. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Anyone else? Okay, so what we're going to do tonight is I want to talk to you a little bit about the different types of psalms. And we owe a huge thank you to a man named Herman Gunkel. He's a German scholar, lived between 1862 and 1932. And Hermann Gunkel, and here's a picture of him, don't you love his spectacles there? Um, He was an individual that uh, studied the Psalms, in particular as to the use of the Psalms in Israel's liturgical life. How was it used in the temple? How was it used in the community? So, He began to study the Psalms. That was his lifetime work. And uh, even scholars to this day uh, are dependent upon uh, Gunkel and his categorization of the different types of Psalms and how they were used. And this is something that you will occasionally run across if you're doing some reading uh, you'll find a phrase like uh, "How was it used in the cult?" Now, when you when you're talking about Israel, the cult is the setting of life. It's it doesn't have anything to do with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. Okay, so it's the cultic setting is how did how was how were these psalms used within the community? And so I just wanted to make you aware of that. Occasionally, you might run across that phrase, uh, what is the uh, cultic function of this material? And it's not talking about any type of uh, false doctrine. It's just talking about how it was used within a particular setting. So here's what we're gonna do. So in the study of the Psalms, uh, one of the things that Gunkel did is he began to um, try to find out what is the literary genre or the type of literature and what was the social setting? Here's another phrase that you'll run across in commentaries. What is the sit-im-leben? Sit-im-leben was a term that was used by scholars that means what is the setting in life for this? So what Gunkel proposed Um, was that there are different types of psalms that were used for different types of purposes within the cultic setting. So let's imagine, and let's um, use an illustration. So we were talking a little bit last week about um, categorizing different types of psalms, and I'm going to tell you what they are tonight. But we use the analogy of like Spotify, Pandora, uh, that there are, um, are different types of categories for different types of psalms. So let's carry that analogy a little bit further. So I want you to imagine with me that you go, went into a music store. Now I understand they don't exist anymore, but uh, you know, think back to the day where you could go into a music store And you had vinyl records, or you had CDs. We'll update it to CDs for our purposes tonight. And you go in, and you'll find these categories, country music, classic rock, uh, classical music, whatever it may be. Well, when these CDs uh, were shipped to the store, um, there was someone that had to categorize them and place them uh, into their proper slots, so that uh, employee uh, would organize the racks, um, would put the artists in alphabetical order, so on and so forth. So every shipment that came in probably on a weekly basis, the store employee had to take the time to do this. Well, Herman Gunkel helps to sort the CDs, ie. the songs. And Gunkel was given, to carry the analogy a little bit farther, a big cardboard box of all kinds of CDs, and they're all thrown in there together. And they're not categorized, and they're not sorted, and they're not alphabetized. And so Gunkel, in order to kind of determine how to classify these CDs, had to sit down and listen to every CD to determine if it was country, classic rock, pop, uh, classical music, whatever it may be. And as he listened to all the CDs, uh, he didn't know the artists. He only knew how to classify them by listening to them and determining what the musical traits are. Um, and then he got out his label maker. And he began to print out country music, classic rock, classical music, so on and so forth. And then after he labels all these, He finally puts them in the racks in the store, and they are all organized accordingly. I hope that analogy helps you. That's what Herman Gunkel did with the Psalms. Prior to that time, it was like a big box of uh, CDs that were unorganized and uh, unclassified. So what he did is he began to uh, see the different types of Psalms. And to carry the analogy a little bit further, uh, when you're riding in the car and you turn on your Sirius XM radio and you're not looking at what station uh, on that you're uh, listening to, you would almost know without looking at the artist or uh, the title of the song, what category... Um, it should fit in. I mean, if you hear heavy metal guitar riffs versus uh, classical piano music, you know automatically by chord progressions and all these different elements where it should fit. And that's what Gunkel did. He took the Psalms and he began to base them on form and content. And he found some that are pretty easy to identify, but then there were some that were hard, it was hard to categorize them. They kind of had a mixed feel to them. So after he had studied them long enough, he began to compare some of the Psalms with other poetic literature that was found in the Hebrew Bible. For example, there's a psalm in Exodus 15 that celebrates their deliverance through the sea from Egypt. Jonah 2 is a collection of different psalms all merged together and put into the mouth of Jonah when he cries out from the belly of the fish. And of course, the book of Job is one psalm after another. Each chapter is another. Uh, Now there's a narrative to it, but it's in poetical form so he began to um, study these and compare these and he determined probably more than five categories but five main categories and here's what they are so if you're still there in psalm 32 we're going to go next to psalm 33 okay the first type of psalm that was pretty easy to identify was called praise psalms and Psalm 33 is a longer psalm. They're much shorter psalms than this, but they all kind of follow a similar format. There's kind of an opening invitation for people to praise God, and then there's some reasons for praising God, and then kind of a recap of the invitation at the beginning. So these praise psalms um, are such that they vary in length, um, an arrangement. And then how it was organized is interesting. So here in psalm thirty two you have a confessional psalm, and many scholars believe that psalm thirty three is placed here in this book of psalms because it's the natural out uh, result that comes out of the heart uh, based upon the forgiveness of God. So in chapter, 32 verse 11, it says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous sing all you who are upright in heart. And then verse one of chapter 33, Psalm 33 says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make music to him on the 10 string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. You can feel the exuberance there and you hear the invitation. The invitation is, hey, you righteous ones, praise God. And then there's some reasons that are given. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Now, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but there you have reasons for the praise that is being given. And if you look to the very end, what you're going to notice is Uh, another invitation, kind of a recap that is inviting people. Go down to verse 20. It says, we wait and hope for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So it's not individual, it's communal. We, um, come on, all you righteous people, praise God. And here's a reason for it. And then the recap at the end is, here's why we're praising you. Uh, We are putting our hope in you. Does that make sense? Does that make any sense to you? There's a lot of repeated commands in praise psalms, you know, based upon God's big deeds and so forth, praise the Lord and that type of thing. Now, this is an interesting psalm too. So you see here, how many verses are in psalm thirty three? There are twenty two verses. Each verse corresponds to one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So um, verse one will begin with uh, Aleph um, and then uh, and and so on, and so forth. So there's some interesting elements there of how it's arranged as well. And it might we might say, Why should we praise God? Well, let me give to you A to Z reasons why. It's almost like using their alphabet to say from A to Z, here's why. Any thoughts there, comments, questions? Okay, a second type of psalm that's pretty easy to identify is called lament psalms. A lament psalm is, in contrast to a praise psalm, uh, it is responding in some ways to the frustration of God not showing up. So God, sometimes in the lament psalms, are uh, are talking about God's absence, um, or why the enemy is prevailing, or why... God, did you allow me to get this close to death itself? Again, lament psalms are pretty easy to identify because something's gone wrong. And the psalmist is crying out because his life has spun from orientation to disorientation. And he does not know what to do with that disorientation. And these type of psalms are such that it touches the wide range of human experience, Um, whether it is uh, uh, something that has to do with the enemy surrounding them or whatever, or uh, a personal illness, sickness, those type of things. Uh, But usually the Lament Psalms, if they are personal, Uh, are usually health-related. If they're communal, they're usually related to some impending threat or danger uh, to the community. So you can see here that uh, there are a couple of elements to a lament psalm. So first is the complaint. Um, God is addressed, and the complaint is verbalized. And then there's a petition. God, come on, show up already. Where are you? Why don't you do something? And usually there's some type of motivation that is given, saying, you owe it to me. I've been pious. I've been faithful. I've been innocent. I don't deserve this type of treatment. Um, And so there is this also uh, uh, imprecatory element to it. And that is, Would you get even with my enemy? Uh, Oh, Lord, uh, you know, put them down. And what's fascinating is the turn within a lament psalm. It usually turns at some point after the complaint to a praise that in faith, the psalmist is assured that God hears him. And he will praise God as God comes through. So I want to give you just a short example of this in Psalm 13. So keep your thumb there in 30. We'll come back uh, to that area of the Psalms in a moment. But Psalm 13 says, and this is a short one. That's why I picked it. It says here, uh, Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. Okay, again, uh, attributed to David. And here we have the complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and in every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? There you can see the address, O Lord. How long, O Lord? Here's the complaint. Uh, You're hiding your face from me. I'm wrestling in my sorrow The enemy is triumphing over me, that type of thing. Verse three, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Here's the motivation element of it. The enemy's gonna take credit that they have conquered one of your faithful ones. And then here comes the assurance of being heard. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And then we have this idea of a payment of a vow, uh, giving this back to God. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. In other words, if you come through, I'm going to make it known to the community that you have um, brought deliverance and so forth. So that's a very short psalm, uh, longer Lament psalms. We'll get into a lot more detail, but you know, we're we're working with you know just uh, a certain amount of time tonight, so we don't want to go into real long psalms. But that you will find a, a very similar pattern even in longer lament psalms. Do you have some thoughts there? Questions? Comments? All right. In contrast to lament psalms, you have Thanksgiving psalms. Um, And it's kind of like the end of the story for those that are in lament. Uh, God comes through. So if the psalms as a whole can be orientation, disorientation, Thanksgiving psalms are kind of like reorientation. In other words, um, God is seen in perspective, that God has not lost control, uh, and there's a celebration. So think of, you know, think of the end of the movie type thing where there's a great celebration because a victory has been won. And that's kind of what the Thanksgiving Psalms are doing. They're almost kind of like an update of how God has has come through, and uh, the Thanksgiving Psalms, in many respects, um, is kind of a new reality, kind of a a new creation or a new harmony, a new reliability upon God because um, of what God has done. So it kind of keeps in the back of its mind the distressing situation, but now things have changed. So the Thanksgiving psalms um, take on a very similar format. When you find some of the uh, Thanksgiving psalms, they usually begin with praise. Uh, There's a new lease on life. There's a new outlook. There's a new opportunity. There's usually an invite to the community to join in and praise God for this new reality. And then it moves kind of from the old orientation to a new one. And then you have a conclusion. So this is illustrated in Psalm 30. So we're back in the same section of the Psalms. Now this is 12 verses long. And I've given to you uh, a verse breakdown here of of what to look for. So look at verses one through three. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Oh Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. So here's an individual that thought he was coming to the very end, and God brought a renewed lease on life for him, raised him up from that dangerous situation. Secondly, he invites the community to join him. Uh, Here you see in Uh, Verse 4, sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So come on, community, join in, be a part of this, and praise the Lord. Then there is, again, a movement from disorientation to reorientation. Verse six, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So, orientation, disorientation, now reorientation. Verse eight, to you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction? Am I going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? So there's a little bit of bargaining that's going on here. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. So he's trying to move into a new way of framing his life. And then there's a breakthrough. Verse 11 is the conclusion that's in parallel, basically, to the beginning of the psalm. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. And clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So there's a pretty short Thanksgiving psalm. You can see some of the samples that are there. There are some that are much longer than that. But they will kind of follow this format here, Uh, beginning with praise and invitation to the community and articulation that moves a mindset from one way of looking at something to a new way of looking at something, and then another uh, celebration at the end. That make sense to everybody? Any thoughts there? Now, here's an interesting one. Um, These are not as uh, frequent, but the Psalms, talk about kingship, both earthly kings and God as king, and they are called, by way of a genre, royal psalms, and a royal psalm is about the king. Um, In Psalm 45, it's about the wedding, the royal wedding of the king, Um, and then uh, on the coronation day of the king, you have a prayer. So Uh, I don't know if anybody caught the crowning of the new king of England, but there's a certain pattern and prayer structure. Uh, God save the king now instead of God save the queen. Uh, There is this idea of uh, this is the individual that's going to lead our people. So in Psalm 45, if you were to glance at it, you would find that it's talking, and we're told about this, uh, at the at the title level uh, for the director of music in other words this is for the special music at the wedding ceremony so ceremony to the tune of lilies of the sons of cora masco a wedding song and so you find here um, my heart is stirred by noble theme as i recite my verses for the king my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer almost sounds almost a little Shakespeare-like, you know, you are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever, and and so forth, and it specifically mentions the king, um, down in verse five, let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies, let the nations fall beneath your feet, so this is talking about royalties, fair, fairly lengthy, it's 17 verses here, but if this was a song that was sung at the wedding of the king, um, you know, it, it is it is lifting him up. It's honoring him. It is wishing him the very best. Uh, and then by the time you get to the, the end of the psalm, it begins to talk a little bit about uh, the lady as well. Verse 13, all glorious is the princess within her chamber, her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. So it almost sounds like bridesmaids here that are being uh, are preparing the way for the bride to come into the presence of the king. Any thoughts there on that? So... Some royal psalms are not about earthly kings, though. It does talk about the kingship of Yahweh as well. And so um, there are prayers uh, in some of the psalms, like Psalm 72 says, endow the king with your justice O God, the royal son with your righteousness. So you have some of that going on. But in some of the royal psalms, you know, it will talk about God being the king. You can look at some of these down here. I think I've given you some samples of both. Any thoughts there? Okay, one, another type here is called pilgrimage Psalms. Now, these are all clustered together. So if you go over to Psalm 120, you're going to find a title uh, on these Psalms and and. It talks about a psalm of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. So what it's talking about is traveling to Jerusalem, and as you are traveling to Jerusalem in anticipation of celebrating uh, the feasts of of the nation, You sing these songs, and the reason it's called a song of ascents is because Jerusalem is elevated, and so they are traveling up. Now, these psalms will draw upon all kinds of other psalms as well. So if you were to read Psalms 120 through 134, you'll find a mix of lament in some of them, thanksgiving in some of them, and so forth. Um, and it is all apropos to the time of the year. So as pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem, they would go for Passover. They go for the Feast of Fruit, uh, First Fruits, uh, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, so on and so forth. And if you want to see a listing of the different feasts that they would go to Jerusalem, you'll find that in Deuteronomy 16. But here's one example. Uh, Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. So this, it sets out like a lament, doesn't it? What will he do to you? And what more besides, O de- deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and burning coals of broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshek, that I live among the tents of uh, uh, Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So there you see elements of imprecatory. Um, you see lament and so forth. The next psalm also has the title A Song of Ascents, and it's completely different. You probably have heard Psalm 121 before because it's sometimes read at funerals. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? As you're traveling and you're moving up in elevation, I will lift up my eyes. I will lift up my eyes to the higher elevation. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, this becomes a little bit more literal Somebody's traveling, looking up at the hills, anticipating God coming from the hills to protect them and deliver them. And verse 5 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is these psalms are pieces of liturgy that are used. Now, we know individuals where tragic things have happened. Well, where was the Lord? It says here in this psalm, he's going to watch over you. Uh, nothing's going to harm you. Well, it doesn't take into account the fact there there is a divergence of experiences within the human experiences. But what it's talking about is as we sing on our way to Jerusalem, these are the things that we're going to keep in mind. And this becomes an ideal in many respects, an ideal that God is going to watch over us and protect us, even though there are situations where that does not happen. And that's the great conundrum that we all live with. God, where were you? god why didn't you intervene that type of thing so thoughts on that any of the pilgrimage psalms i was thinking about um like when you see um like troops or something when they're like in the military they have these songs that they sing and or any like traveling so you can picture kind of uh them knowing the words and mm-hmm. sort of singing as they're walking, you know. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, I yeah. like how uh, you put these as pilgrimages, and so you can actually kind of see what, like, where is my help coming from? From the Lord, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, right, right, maybe answering, you know. Yeah, and there's kind of a it brings about kind of a unity, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, what you, I, I'm glad you brought up that example of the military. When they're marching, they have a rhythm in the way they're marching. And some of the things that they might be saying or singing uh, brings all the people into that moment, right? Um, mm-hmm. antith- antithesis, where one says one, the other one answers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Health. Yeah. Like, where yeah. does my health come from? Yeah. That's what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the Lord. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I'm sure that probably was part of the, you know, there's no way to know how many people traveled together at a particular time as they went to the feast. Is this a big clan? Uh, is it more just a family level? It, it's hard to say, but they would know these Psalms as part of the rhythm not every Israelite went to Jerusalem three times a year. They couldn't afford it. But when they did go, they kind of knew this was part of the rhythm of that journey. So any thoughts? All right, I'm almost done for tonight. There are some Psalms that are a mixture of all kinds of different things. You see a little bit of that from Psalm 120 to Psalm 121, they're very different in um, the way they sound, even though they're they're a pilgrimage psalm. Well, some psalms kind of mix these different elements and it's kind of a, a mashup of different songs. So, you know, we've all seen different musical artists that have done... Um, compilation of their hits they don't do the whole song necessarily they'll do a little bit from this song they'll move into another song it might be in the same key it might not be in the same key and and you know it's a unique artistic expression of taking a handful of songs and and bringing them and mashing them together as a new expression some psalms are kind of like that Likewise, some psalms can be very perplexing. And even for the scholars, it, they're stumped at times as to how to how to define or categorize this, these psalms. Uh, sometimes the psalm is very specific uh, to fit a particular genre. Um, so I just pulled a couple of these as an example. There's one... Uh, example of a type of psalm called um, an entrance liturgy. So uh, go over to Psalm 15. And it is believed this psalm was uh, written for those that are coming close to the temple. Again, this is another psalm that is um, attributed to David. You probably have heard this one before. Uh, Verse one. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does no wrong to his neighbor and casts no slur on his fellowmen, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. And it goes on. Who's allowed to worship God? Who's allowed in the presence of God? Now, technically, this isn't right. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Well, you know who? The priesthood. That's who. They're the ones that are allowed into the holy place and the holy of holies. But the entrance liturgy is such that as you come to worship, who does God recognize? Oh, they have these characteristics. This isn't very long. Verse four goes on, an individual who keeps his oath even when it hurts, <laughs> don't you about that? Someone who keeps his promise even when it's not uh, profitable to him, who lends his money without usury, doesn't take advantage of other people financially, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent or take advantage of the poor. He who does these things will never be shaken. So this is called an entrance liturgy. You want to worship the Lord, here's kind of a, here's kind of a roadway in. Keep these things in mind. One more example, uh, number 24, Psalm 24. Again, not very long, only 10 verses long, but it's very similar. Verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So first reference here is to creation. Then you have this entrance liturgy. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Not the sanctuary, just the hill. Who may stand in his holy place? Now you're getting closer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false he will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. So you can subcategorize different Psalms. This is very specific uh, in terms of how are you to approach God and so forth. Now, after going all through these different types of genre, you'll find in the Psalms, it's important to keep in mind that categorizing Psalms is a bit subjective. And so when Dunkel categorized these Psalms, um, he did so subjectively. This is what he, he thought they, here's where they belonged. If you took another scholar, they might assess a different category to some of these Psalms because some of them don't fit one particular genre. Um, But having said that, even though there might be songs on the radio that you go, is that pop? Is that country? Or is it a blending of both? One person might say, no, that's pop. Another person might say, that's no contemporary country or whatever. There's some subjectivity to it as well. Does that make sense? So, all right. So that's what I had for us tonight, just by way of different types of Psalms, genre. But it's interesting that this kind of formed the nation of Israel and how they use these Psalms in different uh, settings and in different ways. You have some thoughts about our content tonight? Okay, cool. So what's the most common of all the types? Lament. Lament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, praise psalms probably would not be far behind, but I think uh, by far lament psalms because there's both personal and communal lament. There's both types there uh, that you find in the Psalter. But yeah, you'll find that the psalmists do not hold back um they are individuals that use these as prayers that are quite honest um they get frustrated with god they try to prod god onto action that type of thing so are there other um i don't know it's not i guess societies i guess you could say who have similar music or similar things to songs that would be interesting to run with a pair in parallel. parallel. I think every society and every culture has different pieces of literature that form their culture or expresses it in some way. Now, the reason we don't know it is because we don't know other languages or we don't know enough about other religions, but sometimes they're borrowed as well. So, uh, what you'll find is sometimes, and this is especially true in Genesis, uh, some of the stories that are in Genesis were also found in other uh, religious liturgies and and that type of thing, like the flood and, and different things like that. Um, so there are some common stories that kind of go between different cultures and ethnicities and that, but there are some that are just unique Uh, to uh, the specific culture or religion. So um, Buddhism is just full of all kind of wisdom type of literature and Proverbs and different things that are used that form a life of um, wisdom and nonviolence and different things like that. So, even though I'm not familiar with their literature, they probably have forms within their literature, language and religion that have some commonalities as well. It's just that I don't, I don't know about them. I'm ignorant of them. So, um, but my guess would be that you could find this in every civilization all around the world. They have their, their holy uh, pieces of literature, they have their common stories, all that type of thing that makes them who they are. So, it'd be interesting to see if they have the same categories and same proportions of categories. Yeah, yeah, that would. I you'd really need to look up uh, those that have done a deep dive into other literatures and religions mm-hmm. and cultures. To be able to even see if there's some correlations and commonalities and I'm not sure other than people that dedicate their life to some of those type of things to write books and, and the academic element of it who has time to do all that that's, that's what's difficult on the ground level. Other questions or comments. So what I want to do next Wednesday, and it will kind of complete the Psalms as kind of a literary type, I want to talk a little bit about how Hebrew poetry works. So that'll be kind of our concentration next week. And then I'll kind of wrap up this study with just a a few other observations. But um, hopefully this helps you have a better understanding of a pretty big bulk of the Old Testament. I mean, the Psalms is a pretty big selection of material. So any other things? If not, we'll call it a night. Thanks, Larry. All right. You're welcome. I hope you ha- have a great rest of the week. Okay? Thanks. <laughs> All right. No. Okay. Good night.